soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now the rest of the chapter is going to go into detail how God brought the animals to Noah two by two, every kind according to its kind, extra animals that are clean animals, because after the flood, after the they come off the ark, there's sacrifices, Noah builds an altar as to the Lord. They're on the boat about a year. And there's all the details of that in chapter 7 and into chapter 8, the process of how long they're on the boat and all that. And we cover that quite extensively on Tuesday night. But I really want to focus tonight on this first verse of chapter 7. There's so much in it. It is before the flood and it is time of the flood. It is the end of his age. It's the end of his world as he knew it. And because Jesus says concerning his second coming, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, where men and women are given in marriage, there's a sense of normalcy, but there's things that would reflect the last days, which the New Testament gives us a lot of detail on. They did not know until they went into the flood. And Peter talks in Second Peter about how people scoff and mock the return of the Lord because they say things just keep going on the way they keep going on. But this they willfully forget that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years as a day with the Lord. And that God's not slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering that he's not willing that any should perish. And even so, too, with the second coming of Jesus Christ on the horizon of our linear timeline for our generation or our children's children or our children or down the road even farther. Because, again, when Enoch walked with God and was taken, it was still 600 years before the flood came. We're told by Jesus to always be watching and ready for his return, who then is that faithful servant. And a lot of great men and women have lived their lives and stepped into eternity believing they had seen the return of the Lord for them before they died, and that they would not die. They'd be part of that generation that is translated without experiencing death. Just as Enoch walked with God and was not, for the Lord took him, he did not die. So too were promised in the New Testament that there'll be a generation that walks with the Lord, and they don't physically die. The Lord will sound a trumpet. And what a sound that will be when that trumpet sounds. And we who are alive will be called up to be with the Lord. He'll take his church out of the world before the great tribulation period and the final judgment of the world, the wrath of the Lamb, and then he'll come back with his church and the saints of old to establish his kingdom at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, what is commonly known as the 70th week of Daniel. It's a seven-year period unfulfilled yet still to happen on this planet. And we know in Second Thessalonians that the only thing that's restraining the Antichrist and that end game described for us in the great tribulation, that time that Jesus said, unless those days were shortened for the elect's sake, all flesh would perish. The only thing that's restraining would be the Holy Spirit working through the church. We are salt, we are light, and we are restraint. We might not be many here tonight, and the body of Christ not be many on this entire planet, but Jesus said, narrows the gate that leads to life, and few enter thereby. 
But however many we are, we're the salt and we're the light. And we're to bring flavor and preservation to our world and our timeline. And we're to shine, let our light shine before men that they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. So Noah built that ark most likely for 120 years faithfully. We know that his, as he, every day he built that ark, it was a testimony of his obedience to the Lord. And it was a testimony of the contrast, and we covered this last week, of his generation rejecting his witness. He had a witness. And as that ark continued its construction process and moved toward its completion, it was a witness that this is the way to be saved in this ark. God provides a way of salvation. This is the way. If someone else wanted to build a boat, thinking just in case this crazy man is going to make sense, we'll build our own ark, we'll do it our way. That's like world religion. That's the only floating vessel. If anyone else built an ark and suddenly it rained, their boats didn't make it. It was the ark by which God saved his family and his generation and the animal kingdom and continued the human race and the experience of planet Earth as we know it to this day, of which it's a far cry from that which came off the ark or even was before the ark, but still we're here with the animal kingdom. The time has come for the judgment. It's a global flood. The text makes that clear in chapter 7. I've talked about this. You study ancient civilizations, you will find almost every ancient civilization has the belief in a dramatic flood, whether it's local or global. Almost every culture you can study has that, along with original man and men with dragons. Those three things are prevalent, which, of course, is consistent with the word of God. But it says something very interesting as Noah's time had come to go into the ark. This phrase, God says this, It's a very interesting phrase, and we see it fairly often, not fairly often, we see it in the Bible at different places in a very special way. Because I have seen. Let's think about that for a minute. God says to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This verse, as much as any verse in the Bible, reminds us that God sees all, knows all, is aware of all, and he does not sleep or slumber, but he's just long-suffering, not one that he should perish. He's aware of every injustice. He's aware of everything that's ever happened that's unfair. He's aware of every evil on this planet, and he sees, and he knows, and he knows faithfulness, and he knows rebellion. He knows obedience. He knows sin. He knows those who are justified, and he knows those who are self-condemned. The Lord sees David, in writing the Psalms, talked about this. The Lord looks down from heaven and looks to see if there's any that seeks after the Lord. And no, there's not one. There's none who does good. No, not one. He repeats that a couple times in those early Psalms in the first book of the Psalms, 1 through 41. And that phrase is pulled in the New Testament by Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 3 to affirm that we are all sinners. There's no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. The Lord looks down and he knows that we're sinners. He knows in our generation, our timeline right now, on this day that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior, that salvation is offered to us through Jesus Christ. For as the angel said to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's Savior. We need to be saved. All have sinned. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
We understand that. We can't save ourselves. We're going to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And even as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in his generation, we talked about this last week again, we find grace in the eyes of the Lord when we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior of our life. The Lord looks down from heaven, and I have seen, says the Lord, and he knows those who are born of his Spirit, and he knows those who are not. See, our world to us is muddy. There's all kind of ambiguity in our world, people who want to merge world religions, people who have confessions without fruit, all that kind of stuff. Where were they saved? Once saved, always saved. Did they be resaved? Did they recommit? There's all these things that the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve speculate and meander about when they see people walking with the Lord and then renouncing their faith, right? And we've seen a lot of that in this generation for whatever reason. And we just, we just don't know, but know this. God sits in heaven, as he said to Noah, I've seen, he sees, and he knows. David in Psalm 139 said, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the farthest parts of the earth, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I send to the heavens, you are there. There is nowhere that we can go that God doesn't see us. The day and the night are the same to him, he declares. It's a great reality that we will give an account for every thought, word, and action before the throne of God. Just today, I was reading where Franklin Graham was reminding America of that. Did you catch it? He's in the news because he stands for righteousness in a wicked generation, just like Noah. He was asked about these famous Christians renouncing their faith and capitulating to the culture. And he said, they'll give an account. They'll give an account for every word they say, they'll stand before the throne and they'll give an account. And it's true. Jesus said, for every idle word we'll give an account. And there's nothing hidden from him to whom we must give an account. And he will reveal not just what we said and what we did, but the thoughts and the intents of our heart. See, you might do something good with the wrong motive. You might do something bad with the good motive. Rahab lies about the spies. That's lying. That's breaking the Ten Commandments. But her motive was good. And it saved the spies. And she's in the genealogy for Jesus. And she's commended for her faith in Hebrews 11. And there's not a lot of people in Hebrews 11, by the way. It's a tough hall of fame to get into. God looks at the heart. God sees I have seen that you are righteous in your generation. The Lord looks down from heaven, and he knows everything. And it's a sobering thought for us, and it should be a sobering thought for us. Paul's passion in ministry, that drive to take the public beatings, to take the public ridicule, the Apostle Paul was so driven by knowing, therefore, we must all stand before the Lord and give an account that we become all things to all men, that we would persuade them to come to Christ. And we endure all things for the love of Christ. The Lord sees and the Lord knows. It's good to be reminded of that because if you just look at news, media, or fake news, or whatever you want to call it, it's all manipulated with a perspective that people want us to be moved by. There's nothing new under the sun. That's been going on since the dawn of creation. Cain presented the news a certain way in his Canaan world. There's nothing new under the sun. People in power want to filter what information you get and how they present it, how you receive it, and how you respond to it. 
But if you only listen to the elitists, the people with all the money and all the wealth and all the control and all the power, the globalists, and if you only listen to the people who think they're everything, when in fact all glory of man is as the grass of the field that grows, it withers and it fades away, but the word of the Lord abides forever. If you only listen to those people, you would think the world's one way. But that's not the real world. It's like a Hollywood set. Because all things are naked and bare before him to whom we must give an account. And that's the real world that we need to live in. The world of eternity while we're walking through time, space, and matter. That's the real world we need to live in. That's the reality. It's like when Elisha was surrounded by the Syrian army. His, his, his psyche was like, oh my goodness, we're surrounded. And he said, there's more of us than them. And they prayed that his servant's eyes would be open to see how the innumerable multitude of the Lord was surrounding them. That it, the Lord had far more going on in the spiritual realm, unseen, contrary to that which was seen, the Syrian army. It's important to have that perspective. The Lord sees and he knows, and that's meant to be a point of comfort to the followers of Christ. For we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. That's what we're told. And we have to filter our time, space, and matter experience to the reality of eternity and being reminded by this text that the Lord sees. I have seen, and he sees you. And when you do the right things, he sees it. When you do the wrong things, he's convicting you to fix it and correct it. When you think the right things, he's blessing you. When you think the wrong things, he's convicting you. He sees. See, the Holy Spirit's not just helping us to do the right actions. He's helping us to have the right thoughts. That we would build the equity of purity. That we'd build the equity of credibility through persecutions and sufferings. And we'd build the greatest equity of them all, forgiveness. On a recent podcast, my wife was listening to John Corson from Applegate. And he was talking about all the money spent on psychology and all the psychological problems that humanity has, and even those in the church. And he said, I know I'm going to offend a lot of people, but I'm going to tell you what I think about counseling yet again. So you can write your letters. You don't have to write your letters. You can do whatever you want to do. But know this. If you receive Christ's forgiveness and you show Christ's forgiveness, you will be just fine in the human experience. The Lord sees, and he's working on us through our faith in him for all eternity. And he's working a good work in you. He's working a good work in me. And we can't change yesterday, but we have today. The Lord sees. Look what he says, come into the ark. Oh, how sweet that must have sounded. It's hard for us to picture a planet where everyone's going to perish. But he says, come into the ark. You might as well say in the New Testament equivalent for the church, hey, when you hear the trumpet sound, you're in. Listen for the trumpet. Come in with the trumpet. So that trumpet sounds, we're called to be with the Lord. It's only going to happen once. Let's think this through. I always love, by the way, I always love brass. I love horns, saxophone, trumpet, trombone. I, I love horns. Now, the Jewish armies and tribes move with different sounds from their horns. There's battle cries of the horn, different things. Listen, this planet is, well, the believers on this planet are going to hear a trumpet. They're going to hear a sound. It's only going to happen once. Just like the flood was only going to happen once. It only happened once. Noah had no means by which to measure 
what that flood was going to look like. But by faith, he built the ark for the saving of his household. And we have no, apart from the type of Enoch, we have no idea what it's going to be like to be alive. And then a a sound happens that's an eternal sound. It's outside our dimension. It is outside this dimension. And that sound, and that dimension is always over this dimension, and it supersedes it, and that, tr- that sound's going to happen, and it's just like the depth opening and the, the rain beginning. But that trumpet pulls us out before the wrath of the Lamb comes upon the planet, Revelation chapter 6. The wrath of the Lamb is coming. Who can stand before him? And they hid themselves in the rocks, Revelation 6. But as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, we're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation through our faith in Jesus Christ. For we're children who walk in the light, not in darkness. Come into the ark. That ark is an interesting thing because really it is so symbolic of salvation. It was the ark of deliverance. It certainly symbolizes Christ in a lot of ways. Our deliverer is the way of escape. It was the only way of escape. What if his neighbor said, we want to go on a different boat? We want to, hey, you know, can I get some floaties, you know, for my kids? What, you know, like all these different things. Like, we just, don't like, we just don't like that your ark's the only ark. Well, there's a way that seems right to men, but the end thereby is death. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. There's one way. I, don't you love that God just one way? It's frees to confusion. It's, it's childlike faith. There's one way. The person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Our faith is in Jesus, in a person, not religion. And when they stepped on that ark, it was so symbolic of being invited to the deliverance that the Lord has. Noah built that ark day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. He cast his lot with that ark. He invested his time and energy in that ark. It was moved by faith. It was an act of obedience and reflected righteousness based upon his obedience to the Lord. We're told he was perfect in his generation. Not perfect, sinless, but the the best you could be. And he certainly, as we saw last week, is a contrast to his generation that was rejecting the government of God. He submitted himself in his own heart to the government of God. And every day he built that ark, he, he cast another lot toward the kingdom. And then when it was time to be saved, the very thing he built in agreement and obedience to God was the very thing that delivered him. And let me tell you, when you face the grave, that life you've built through faith in the Lord will be your confidence on the day of the Lord. Not your works. Not works of your flesh that could save you, but the works of the faith that confirm you. Now, the thief was forgiven on the cross, and Jesus promised him paradise that day. And that's a beautiful story. But how much better to live a full life with the hammer building what God's called you to build and have a lifetime of obedience and faithfulness and trust in the Lord precede you. And then when it's time to step into eternity, that very ark you built is the testimony of your faith and obedience to the Lord as you step into eternity. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ, who's our Savior, to come and receive us and take us through the valley of the shadow of death. But nonetheless, like... As you sow, you reap. And as a woman sows, shall shall she reap. And as a man sows, shall shall he reap. And the life of faith and obedience and the ark that he built became the very thing by which his deliverance came. It's fascinating to me. And it brings up this great point. When God says, come on in the ark, he's inviting him to enter into that which he prepared himself for all those years with the life he lived by faith. 
that ark. He built it, and it was his finished project, and it belonged to the Lord. And the Lord said, I've seen you in your generation. Come on in. Sowing and reaping. He built it by faith and obedience, and that which he built was the very thing that, that carried him through. Think how much his faith grew in the Lord as he was building that ark. As he measured things out by the cubit, as he built the third story, as it was all coming together, and the Lord's like, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the ark. Now, he, of course, is in a timeline and came out on a timeline, so there's limits to the, you know, what we're talking about here. But the principle is still in place there. It's still there for us. I'm going to share this again. I shared this Tuesday night because it's that impactful to me. But at the pastor's conference recently for Calvary Chapel, Mike McIntosh, many of you know who Pastor Mike is from Horizon down there in San Diego, Pastor Chuck's first employee. Romaine, Pastor Mike McIntosh, and Don McCor are the first three employees of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, the Calvary Chapel movement. And to see two of them at the conference last month was wonderful. But in a form of questions, some young pastors asked him, what's your retirement plan? Mike McIntosh. And he said, we lost everything. We went to San Diego with $50, me and my wife. After God saved our marriage, we were remarried. They'd been divorced, and she forgave them. They were remarried. And with Chuck's blessing, they went to San Diego with $50. And they started Horizon Christian Fellowship. At the zenith of their ministry, he said they had 9,000 people tithing to the church. Then they had all these things happen where a lot of people left. And eventually they came on financial hard times where he could not receive a salary anymore and he had to give up any benefits that he had. He was broke. Pastor Mike McIntosh retired as a senior pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship. Broke. 40, 50 years of ministry. Broke. By man's standards. He poured out in everybody. And what he said has happened very interesting in recent years is that they poured out for all those years into people, never thinking like what they could get from people, but what they could give to people. When Melissa Hanning Camp was passing an attorney, Jeremy Camp's first wife, he taught three services that morning and showed up at that hospital right before she stepped in the attorney to minister to her parents, Jer- Jeremy, and the Bible college students that were gathered there in prayer. How did he do that? But he poured out and he poured out and he poured out. And the point that he said is that in the measure, good measure pressed down, overflowing, and that the measure they gave for 40-plus years of ministry is the measure they got back. And in recent years, their financial assistance has come from people giving back to them who they poured their lives into for all those decades. And he said, so my answer to your question about retirement plan is this. We started with 50, and we're probably going to end with 50. We started in faith giving of ourselves to the Lord and to his people, and we're going to end our journey giving of ourselves to the Lord and to his people. Enter into the ark. What you built is that which blesses you. Enter into the ark. Good measure pressed down. And that's the word of the Lord that God gave me for this year. Do not grow weary in doing good, for we will reap in due season. And do not be deceived. God's not mocked. As we sow, we reap. So as we're sowing to the Spirit, we're reaping the things of life. And it serves us well for this life, and more importantly, the life to come. The Lord sees all things, and he says to Noah, come into the ark. We also see where he says, you and your, all your household. 
This is beautiful. We're all, of course, encouraged and inspired by this. You and your household. It's an inheritance. We read in Proverbs, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Our first thoughts in the human fleshly sense is estates and trusts and deeds and all those kind of things that you deal with when you get older and all these things that can go on with things like that. But the inheritance really is a legacy of faith. Because we're told in the Psalms that one generation shall proclaim your praises to another generation. And the greatest inheritance we give is of our faith. See, when we do baptisms, we always want the dads to be involved as the spiritual leaders in the household to be involved in the baptisms. So whenever I do baptisms of kids and the dads are doing it, and sometimes the dads aren't even believers. They're like, hey, let's do this. Really? I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And, you know, Methuselah being born is what caused Enoch to walk with God. And you just never know what dad, when he's going to go out in the water and he's uh, there to lead their child in faith, how that's going to affect them. And we've seen it be favorable. And if nothing else, it just builds accountability in a good way before the Lord. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.